And now I want to get into today's message. So we're going to be doing this series on doubt, kind of how do we navigate uh, life when things kind of come up unexpectedly. And so I want you to go with me to the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, if you care to know. But the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, and I'm going to start at verse 20. And this is Jesus speaking. It says, then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, verse 21, it says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, he would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. Verse 22, but Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not God's. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much that you are a good father and you love to give good gifts. We thank you, God, um, just for the opportunity to gather in this space um, and even on online space this morning so we can hear from you. So God, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, would you come into our various spaces, change us, challenge us, draw us into deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And everybody says, amen. Mother Teresa said, listening is the beginning of prayer. Listening is the beginning of prayer. I read that quote and I thought to myself, that sounds wonderful. And it is a beautiful quote. Listening is the beginning of prayer. It, it sounds wonderful. And I don't know about you, but um, have you ever experimented with listening prayer? Where you sit and you just kind of wait for the Holy Spirit to prompt you and to speak to you? Listening prayer can be difficult. And it can be difficult because it takes a little work to silence our souls, to silence our souls enough to hear. You know, it can be a challenge. But here's the thing, what if we have breakthrough in listening prayer? What if we actually do it? We sit down, we silence ourselves long enough, we still ourselves long enough, and we hear from God. We've prayed, God, what are you doing? in the world. You know, we, we say, God, what are you doing in my world? And then we listen, and then miraculously, somehow through all of the distractions, through all of the burden and the weight that we carry, through the, the relentless thoughts that continue to pummel our minds, through the things that are being weighed on our hearts and our souls, miraculously, through every distraction, We've sat still long enough, we've concentrated long enough, to, and, and, and then all of a sudden we hear. 
we hear. But here's the thing, we hear, but what we hear, we're, we're astounded by. <laughs> we're in absolute awe. I mean, it is like some sort of jaw-dropping information we just received. We're in shock, but not in the way we had hoped for, not in this pleasant sort of way. Why? Because we don't hear words, the words of comfort and reassurance like we were hoping. Right? Have you ever prayed before and you already had the preferred answer? Yeah? I know I have. I've prayed more as a formality. You know, I already had the answer that I was hoping for, and so I prayed as a formality just to say that I did it. But if God answered in a way uh, that did not meet those expectations, I was in shock. I was like, God, what do you mean? Because I didn't hear those words of comfort and reassurance like I was hoping for, but sometimes when God speaks to us, we hear things that are upending, things that are troublesome, things that for some of us, if you're like me and you have a little bit of a weak stomach, right, things that uh, we almost cannot stomach. It's disappointing. It's disappointing, we, we, we shake our heads and you know, we kind of shake it off, maybe wiggle our ears, blink our eyes in an attempt to rehear what God is saying, right? You, you, you begin to kind of do things to kind of wake yourself up. And you know, it's so interesting because I never fully understood the correlation between seeing and hearing, but it is. I don't know how many of you have done this before. When you're looking for an address on the street, what do you do? You turn down the radio. Why? I am not sure. Does anybody else do that or is that a me? Okay. I got nervous. So three people do that. Maybe we can start a support group afterwards, guys. Um, but there, there, there is this thing that we kind of do when we hear something. Uh, we begin to kind of question what it is that we're hearing. We, we, we make physical movements and statements almost as if uh, we can shake off what we just heard. Um, it's like, God, I see you, but I'm not sure. I heard you. But the reason we're unsure that we heard God uh, is because what He's spoken is different from what it is we expected. It's a completely unexpected response that God gives us. It's kind of like what John the Baptist experiences when he's imprisoned while Jesus is out and about evangelizing, right? I think we can all agree that we get it. We, we get the shock. We get the uneasiness when we hear an unexpected response from God. And it can be tough. I mean, especially when we walk with Him, when we talk with Him. I mean, we say we know Him. He is our Savior. He is, we, we, we see Him and experience Him as our Redeemer, Emmanuel, the Son of God, the Messiah. So of course, it's uneasy when we're hearing something we never thought we'd hear Him say. And this is Peter's sentiment in today's text. Just a few, few verses before the verses that we opened up with, Jesus asks 
the disciples, he says, who do you say that I am? And after some brief discussion, Peter tunes up and says, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Jesus goes, correct. <laughs> and I can imagine, you know, when you get an affirmative correct from the rabbi, from the teacher, from Jesus, I can imagine like this mini celebration. I can imagine, you know, like high fives and hip checks and chest bumps. I don't know about you, but I can celebrate pretty big when I, I win at something, you know? I could go as far as doing the little finger thing and celebrating like, yeah, I did that. You know, we all have our little things that, you know, we do. And I like to imagine in this text that Peter is celebrating. He's mouthing the words, nailed it among the hush of murmurs of the others saying, I knew it too. I mean, he is excited by what he knew and how he answered, but this nostalgia this celebration is quickly cut short because Jesus then interrupts with these words. He goes, don't tell anyone. As a matter of fact, he commands them not to tell anyone. And I'm telling y'all, the saints are confused. The disciples are confused. They're like, well, why can't we tell anyone? You know, I'm ready to go live. I'm ready to tweet this. I'm ready to have all the information out there. We need to go viral. People need to know this. And Jesus says, no, you cannot tell. But then he follows up with the command, with additional, um, with an additional kind of clarifying but equally um, perplexing statement. He starts saying things and using words like kill and suffering and at the hands of nonetheless his enemies, his naysayers, his haters, if you will. And before they can even, the, the, before the disciples can even utter the words why, Jesus preemptively responds to them with these astounding words. He goes, this must happen. Have you ever had a hard thing in your life that you want to hurry and move through, okay? I know I have. Um, I'll give you a quick personal example. About four plus years ago, I was diagnosed with lupus. Lupus is not running my family. I was, you know, in my 30s at, at the time. Um, I'm trying not to tell y'all my age. <laughs> so I'm like, let me carefully do this math. But just know it was a little while ago, praise God. Um, and I was diagnosed with lupus, and I immediately, because I know the Lord, I just start praying for healing. I cast this spirit of sickness out, so on and so forth, and I was really pretty sick. But I was ignoring all of that because God was going to heal me right in that moment. So I had been diagnosed with lupus, but I was treating it like a cold, y'all. Like this is going to last for about three to seven days and then we're going to be all done. But then those three to seven days came and went, and guess what? I still have lupus. As a matter of fact, it had actually gotten worse. 
And over time, it got worse so bad that I ended up being hospitalized several times. Um, and I kept wondering, without getting into that entire story, Jesus, wait a minute. How is this happening to me, your, your humble servant, the one who loves you, the one who knows it? The Lord, as I prayed for healing, He didn't come to me and say, boom, healing is going to come right away. You know what He told me to do? The Spirit of God led me. He said, I want you to open up the book of Job. I want to teach you about suffering. That's a hard pass for me. <laughs> thank God somebody talking back. I know y'all hot and it's rainy, but I thank you for whoever just gave me a right. Amen. Uh, you can tell all the black people not in the front row this Sunday, because <laughs> it's real quiet. Um, but the Lord began to talk to me about suffering. And he said, there's a lesson here that I want you to learn. And I was like, I prefer not to learn this lesson. Have you ever had that dialogue with God where there is a lesson that the Lord wants you to learn in places of discomfort and suffering, and you go, I'd rather not have that lesson. Can I get an amen? But Paul says to know you in your suffering. Ah. I want to be intimately acquainted with you. So to be intimately acquainted with you, I just can't know you in your resurrection. I have to know you as well in your suffering. I have to explore the places of discomfort in my life. I have to explore the places of suffering in my life. Because to truly walk with you, to truly be intimate with you, I just can't be in the space of he got raised up, celebration time, but to be still in the silence and say this, you know, God, I prefer that you would take this cup from me, but nevertheless, ah, that's good. I'm celebrating the word because it is. He says, but nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is the sentiment that we see wrapped up in this text by the words of Jesus' very own, uh, uh, of his own mouth. He tells the disciples, this must happen. And I get it, the disciples respond to Jesus, and I can imagine what they're saying. Jesus, have you lost it? You're the Messiah. We just said it. You're the Messiah. You can't do this. What do you mean you're going to die? What do you mean you're going to suffer? What do you mean you're going to suffer at the hands of your enemy? No, God, this wasn't what you were supposed to do. This wasn't what you were supposed to say, right? And that's how we are when God begins to divert from our preferred path, because we all have one, yeah? Our preferred path, but here's the thing, um, I don't know about you, but I can get into this space where not only do we complain that God has diverted from this preferred path, right, um, we start to question our whole relationship with God. Who are you? Why would you do this to me? 
I mean, we can even almost like lose our cool, right, when our picture-perfect narrative of God and who we are is disrupted. We become like Peter. Peter is like Jesus. He hears the words of Jesus, and Peter is like, Jesus, why are you like this? (laughs) Why are you like this? Jesus, this is never going to happen. And really what he's saying when Peter tells Jesus, Jesus, this isn't going to happen, really what Peter is saying to Jesus, this cannot happen. Because everything that I've known, everything that I've relied on, everything that I've believed, everything that I've scripted about how you are going to live into this role of Messiah in this world, that is what must happen. This is what Peter is saying to Jesus, and Jesus, Jesus, deeply disturbed at Peter's comment, rebukes him. (laughs) He condemns Peter's disparaging remarks, calling it out as something that is driven by demonic influence. That's a tough reprimand right after you got an affirmation. It's like, wait a minute, I just got the answer right. And now you just called me out as Satan. It's, it's a tough balance, right? But he goes, Jesus goes, what, what's coming out of your mouth? It, it is not God, but there is demonic influence behind it. We have to be so careful when we begin to speak against the things of God and not because uh, he's not doing what we wanted him to do because it is not driven by His Spirit, but rather, even as we can see in today's text, what can be lying behind it is a lie, and behind that lie is demonic influence, something that we've all wrestled with, right? When we all begin to navigate questions of our faith, it is something that we we have to stand with, something that we have to wrestle with. We don't want to see ourselves as a Peter, but sometimes It's important not only to stand with the heroes in Scripture, yeah, to not just remember and stand with Father Abraham and how he moved and had faith, but remember the Abraham that didn't trust God either. We've been there, we've been on both sides of the aisle because we have all wrestled with something that as humans that we deem as necessary and invaluable to have in our lives. We have something called self-perseverance. I have to keep my interests for it, I have to keep my self-survival for it, and it is because we are so invested in the self-interest and our need for it that we have forged a road in our faith journey called unrealistic expectations. <laughs> yeah, you can give that a hand clap for the one person who was clapping. <laughs> you guys are getting it, I know, it's, it's a transition, right? unrealistic expectations, expectations that have not been informed by God, that have not been spoken 
into existence by, by God, but informed by and created by me. Is what I've taken in and interpreted and believed to be true. Peter's messianic theology informed his faith and expectations of Jesus. His, his understanding did, and it just wasn't Peter, it was many Jews at that time. They believed that the Messiah would come and establish his kingdom on earth with demonstrations of strength and power, respect and awe. It would be something spectacular to see. So when Jesus tells them different, they go, no, this can't be. <laughs> This can't be. And I think we've all had that moment, right, where God tells you something, shares with you something, or you pray a prayer, and God doesn't meet your expectation. The blessing you were hoping for didn't nearly meet the criteria that you were hoping that it would, or worse yet, it doesn't meet the criteria or the standard of the people who are watching you, because sometimes we do something where we go, I want to be blessed, not just because, you know, God is, has favor on me and He wants to bless me. Sometimes we just want to be blessed so others can see it. And Peter was in this place, and he was struggling, but instead of doubting, instead of being done with Jesus when we hear things that disrupt our picture-perfect narratives, perhaps we should take a look at our expectations. Another way to say that maybe is maybe we should examine our theology. <laughs> our theology and who's informed it and what has informed it. Why? Because if we're responding like Peter, when we hear and experience God's reply, what has my faith been anchored in is what I have to begin to ask myself. What has my faith been anchored in? Has my faith been anchored in what I am capable of doing or has it been anchored in what God is capable of doing? And can we just kind of have a parenthetical pause here? Because that question really ought to resonate with us differently, especially after hearing today's text and story. Um, because sometimes I have to sit back and I evaluate myself. Am I throwing a tantrum? Nicole, are you throwing a tantrum when God tells you no? Because if you are, then what is your faith anchored in. Jesus, but my faith is anchored in just these good things, and God says, but it has to be more expansive. You just can't have a theology that is revolved around gain, gather, growth, and growth. You also have to have a theology that incorporates loss, grief, humility, self-denial, the cross. And in order to do that, I have to kind of recenter myself. I have to find my bearings. I have to gather myself. Author Paul Tripp says, after you kind of sit and you gather yourself, he goes, repent. Repent. 
Why repent? Because we all have a Peter in us. Yes? We all have the proclivity to do what Peter did in that moment, and the major cause of that is sin. Tripp says that sin puts us uh, in a place where we have these antisocial instincts that cause us to inherently and selfishly focus on ourselves. Tripp says this behavior is destructive. <laughs> and really that's what Jesus is doing when he calls out Peter, when he says, you, you don't have the things of God in mind. Get thee behind me, Satan. He's really saying, this is destructive, what you're saying. It is not part of the plan and the purpose of the kingdom of God. It's destructive because ultimately it can destroy our relationship with God. And in some ways it almost did for Peter. Even though Peter identified Jesus as the Messiah and Jesus identifies Peter as the rock upon whom the church will be built and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Peter, that same Peter, still cuts off a soldier's ear when they come to arrest Jesus, though Jesus already told them what would happen. Even though Jesus had predicted this, he had spoken this, he even said, this must happen. Peter still moves in the direction of his own hopes and expectations. As a matter of fact, you can see it impacting his relationship with Jesus because we see that Peter even denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, questioning all that he knows to be true about Jesus. Peter abandoned his assignment given to him by God and returns to being a fisherman instead of a fisher of men because everything that he assumed to be true of God, everything that he had shaped, everything that he had spoken about was taken away from him. Everything he had based his messianic theology upon, it was coming unraveled. But God is so good that He comes to us even in the midst of our deconstruction, in the midst of our doubt and despair. He meets us because He's so good. He meets us. Peter had gone back to being a fisherman. And I'm fast-forwarding in the story, but Jesus meets him. He doesn't meet him when he's gotten all the answers. He doesn't meet him once he has repented. He doesn't meet him when he has figured it out. He meets him when he had backslidden, when he had abandoned his post, he meets him in the doubt. He meets him in his emotional agony and suffering. He meets him in the place where he is intellectually disturbed and wondering who God is. He meets him there. Suffering and doubt is so important because it gives God an opportunity to meet us there. 
I know we like the feel-good parts of the gospel and the things that feel good, but there is so much truth in understanding a God who suffers. Jesus meets him in his suffering. He meets him at the shore where he had given up. And he says something to Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? It's amazing how the Savior knows the right question to ask us that will penetrate our hearts, that will get right to the thing that matters most. Because even when we don't understand the circumstances, <laughs> we don't understand all the things, right? Kind of like Peter, we can hear the words, but do you love me? I know you don't get this diagnosis, but do you love me? I know you don't get this circumstance, but do you love me? I know you're wrestling with agony, but do you love me? I know you're in a place of doubt and despair, but do you love me? Peter's answer is, yes, Lord. So Jesus tells him, will feed my sheep. Sometimes when we become absorbed in our own pain, in our own doubt, in our own agony, we do like Peter did. We abandon our posts. We dismiss our purpose. And we want to have all the answers, but really the only answer that we really need to know and have, the only answer that we need to really be able to embrace is to the question, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Jesus asked a second time to Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, again, maybe even wondering why Jesus is asking again, he, he, he says, yes, I do. And then Jesus says, well, take care of my sheep. So then he does it a third time. In the Baptist church, they would say one time for the Father, one time for the Son, one time for the Holy Ghost. <laughs> he asked him a third time. He says, Peter, do you love me? I feel like Jesus was fighting through every doubt. Jesus was pushing back every sort of trauma, every sort of disappointment, all the disillusionment. He was pushing back with his love by saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Do not abandon your post. Do not abandon your purpose. Feed his sheep. I believe Jesus asked Peter these questions this many times because he's helping Peter to reorient his faith. He says, Peter, perhaps your faith has been in the wrong things. 
Let me help reorient you in it. In this moment where Jesus is asking these questions, even he's even reinforcing Peter's theology. He's showing him that God is a God of grace and a God of truth. He is a Savior that means him well. Can I tell you another quick story? Because I haven't taken enough side roads in this sermon today, and you know I usually take about 10. But I remember when I was growing up, I grew up in the church, but I didn't become a Christian until I was about 15 years old, and I had a pretty tough upbringing. It's pretty chaotic. And I remember when I became a Christian, I had this expectation that things were just going to go perfectly for me at that point because, I mean, really I deserved it because I endured so much hell, I endured so much trauma. Now my life was giving to Jesus and it was going to be smooth sailing. How many Christians know that that's not the truth? <laughs> yeah, we should all raise our hands to that. I thought it was going to be the smooth sailing. And so I was surprised, y'all, when it wasn't. Jesus, why are you like this? What, what do you mean it's not going to be perfect? It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be smooth sailing. You're not going to answer my prayers in a timely fashion, which is like right away, okay? None of this, I send you a prayer via text, and I see it's on read, so I know you didn't read it. I see the little bubbles coming up, but I ain't got an answer. Y'all know what I'm talking about when you text people and you see they read it. <laughs> I take my read notification off. I do. I said, they won't catch me up today. So I'm like, Jesus, you're going to do all of these things for me. You're going to make this be right. You're going to make this be perfect. Everything's going to be perfect in my life. And then after walking with Jesus nearly a decade, right, I started to understand that that was not going to happen. So then I said to the Lord, questioning my relationship with him, why you are so unfair? It's like the gospel is the carrot you dangle in front of me that I can just never grasp. I never get enough good news. I never get enough this. You are not fair, God, and then Jesus, by the power of his Holy Spirit, it's like he sat me down, he said, go with me to the Gospels, Nicole. And I want you to read this, and I start reading, and it said, if a child asks his father for bread, will that father give him a stone? No. If that child asks for a fish, will the father then give him a scorpion or a snake or something? No. Well, if humans know how to be a good father, not all of them are, right? We get that. But they know there's a capacity in them. But we know some good fathers, if they know how to be a good father, how much more of a good father am I? And then you go, okay, God, that's good. And then he says, the gift that I've wrapped it up in, and just, just in the text, and I'm not going to go into it, is my Holy Spirit. I give you what you need 
for this life. And so from that moment on, I took on a new mantra where I say it all the time, literally for years, since my 20s, I declare, I say, God, you are a good father and you love to give good gifts. God, you are a good father and you love to give good gifts. I said it until my theology was impacted by God's truth. I said it until I was able to walk in it, stand in it, and not just have a tantrum about what I wasn't getting. God, you are a good father. And you love to give good gifts. I had to set my unrealistic expectations to the side. This is what we have to do as we wrestle with doubt and disillusion. We have to release our expectations. We have to return to the place of purpose. We have to go back to our posts, if you will, because if we said yes, that we love him, then the invitation is the same to us that it was to Peter. Then feed my sheep. I want to say to us today, as a church, as a community, <laughs> even when it's hard, even when you're wrestling with doubt, one, you are no less of a Christian. You are no less of a believer. Even if in that same space as you're speaking with God and you're listening and perhaps something happens and he says something that you didn't quite expect or you're in that space like Peter was, in a minute he's being affirmed and in a minute he was reprimanded and you're, you're kind of like, God, what's going on? The thing to focus on is not being perfect, but it's being positioned, being positioned in a place of humility, being positioned in a place, you can go ahead and give me some background music, Miss Sarah, see I learned, Does you, and she don't even have on a name tag, hey now, look at God, um, it's not about being perfect, but it's about being in the position. where you say, God, I don't have all the answers, but I trust you. God, this thing that has happened has been disruptive. <laughs> it has been agonizing. It has been troubling. but I know that I still love you. So it is in that space of doubt, of disillusion, of unrealistic expectations that we have that the Savior meets us. How sacred is that, y'all? The Savior meets us. He doesn't meet us in places of perfection. 
He's not waiting for us to have it all together. He's not waiting to meet us there. He's not long down the road once we figure out all the answers, but he meets us in the doubt, in the disillusion.